0: Welcome everyone, today on Housing Wire Daily, we're going to talk about housing inventory and the promise of 3D printed homes, plus mortgage rates and how lenders are adjusting. I'm Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at HW Media, and my guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman, who can speak to these topics and more. But first, here's a word from our sponsor. Since 2015, Finance of America Mortgage and their skilled, award-winning mortgage advisors have helped over 450,000 customers, closing more than $134 billion in loan volume. Licensed in all 50 states, plus Washington, D.C., Puerto Rico, and the U.S. Virgin Islands, Finance of America Mortgage is backed by best-in-class lending technology and a wide range of innovative mortgage products that can help turn any borrower into a customer for life. Want to join an award-winning team and evaluate your business? Visit www.joinfamtoday.com forward slash housingwire to learn more. Finance of America Mortgage LLC is licensed nationwide. Equal housing opportunity. MLS ID number 1771. www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Equal opportunity employer. James, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Good to be with you. Great to have you on. So, of course, lots of mortgage news, right? We had, uh, you know, not not the best news coming out right now uh, from, you know, the larger economy and how that trickles down to the mortgage market. We're seeing um, rates continue to go up. What's the, what's the latest number there?
1: Uh, so, for purchase mortgages, the average over the last few days, according to Freddie Mac, is 511 and that's 11 basis points higher than the week prior and and again that's just purchases if if you look at all mortgages right now you know 30 year conforming you're generally seeing in the 5354 five, range um you know and, and that's assuming that there are points that are that are getting bought. um but but i think it's very likely that you're seeing you know some prospective homeowners getting uh getting 5556 five, it's um, it's, it's a market we haven't seen in quite some time.
0: You know, just personally, as someone who's about to buy a, a house in about uh, six weeks, eight weeks, I'm like, dang it. Uh, and that's, you know, that's not my livelihood. So I can imagine that this is not welcome news to to many people who depend on those rates.
1: Yeah, you're a year late. <laughs> it would seem- I, I am. You know, if you did this a year ago, you'd be looking at, what, about a, a 3% mortgage or, or maybe even a little bit lower if you were buying some points up front. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it's- it's been an incredible uh and, and very fast um acceleration in rates. You know, it's been what a hundred more than hundred and fifty basis points just since the calendar year turned. And um, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people out there who believe that that um you know these rates right now have already been basically um this is as high as they're gonna go because the risk has been priced in, you know, they're taking into account that the fed is going to raise rates another six times this year, um, maybe 50 basis points a, a turn, maybe, maybe even 75, you know? And so, so it's, it's you know, there, there's an argument that's been made that this is where we are going to be for quite some time. Um, I don't think many people are anticipating rates dropping back into the fours. And there are a few people who think that there are going to be rates somewhere in the sixes this year. Um, but that as, I can see depends largely on how inflation is doing. Um, and yeah. that's, you know, just something that nobody can really predict right now. I mean, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the big organizations uh, that track the mortgage industry have been revising their forecasts for this year. And then, you know, that they're always, and they have to, um, you know, make those um, educated guesses based on what's happening in the market and what they can see on the horizon. But does anyone really know what inflation is going to look like in six months? Does anyone know how the war between Russia and Ukraine is going to play out or whether supply chain um, issues are going to be cleaned up, you know, to some extent, but maybe not entirely, maybe a little bit, maybe not at all. I I mean, there's so much variance, there's so much variability um, that I I think it's really, really hard um, to price that kind of risk right now. And so as a result, you know, there's there's a pretty high... (laughs) High uptick in rates in a pretty short amount of time. And that's, you know, we, we talk a lot about the industry practitioners and how they're affected by by all of this. Um, but the people who are buying homes right now, the end user, that's who's really, uh, you know, suffering. You know, people who now have to spend $25,000, $50,000 more, um, you know, four months later when they're already looking. To purchase a home, and and they're in, in bidding wars, and uh, may, maybe not even getting the opportunity to bid on a home because it's gone so quick. So, it's a, it's a really rude awakening, and and that's especially if if you're somebody who, who feels like you have to buy a house right now.
0: Well, and that's you know one of the stories that um, we have on our site from a couple of weeks ago was now is the worst time ever to buy a home, and uh, you know it that that can probably be the headline and the story for you know I mean that that's not going to go out of style anytime soon. That's going to be trending.
1: Right. We, we can rewrite that story in, in three weeks probably yes. in three months you know <laughs> but hopefully not later this year and, and you know the, the the hope of course is that some of those supply chain issues will, will mitigate and, and maybe rates will stabilize which means that you know uh, on the secondary uh, front they can they can price um price the securities a little bit better but um yeah it's it's not like we're gonna suddenly get this massive influx of inventory that's gonna solve a lot of problems it's it's not like you know, a lot of the people who are who are able to compete and, and buy a home if they want to right now are, are suddenly, you know, going to stop. Um, I think there are some people who are going to fall out who are, who are just going to say, this is, you know, this is too rich for my blood. You know, the, the conditions have shifted to the degree that I, I just I cannot afford the home I want. And so I'll sit out and wait until something new does come up. Um, but think about how many cash buyers are out there. Think about like how many bidding wars you see in hot markets. Like if somebody doesn't, you know, win that bid, there are 12 people, 13 people behind them who are ready to snap it up. And, and you know, that that doesn't occur in every market, of course. Um, but, but in enough markets where, you know, locally, it, it doesn't matter what happens with mortgage rates, you know, you're not going to see the demand really shift all that much.
0: Well, and, you know, several stories that Brooklyn Han has covered about local markets, one of the things that stands out is if you're selling in a hot market, if you're selling in a coastal market and moving in, to you, it seems cheap. You're, you're like, yeah, bid the heck out of that thing, right? Like, I mean, it, it doesn't matter to you, and the and the interest rate's not going to hurt you that much either because you have bank you you have all the power coming into this, and we see that in Austin, we see that in all, all over the place, right? Um, yeah, I'm I mean, buying the hat. tech bros
1: in in San Francisco who are buying, you know, a, a eight hundred fifty thousand dollar home in Boise. Are thinking, oh man, this is too rich for my blood. Or, right. <laughs> yeah, you know, this uh, I don't know about a five and a half percent mortgage rate. Yeah. You know, they they probably have cash ready for their stock
0: options. And or. they're like, this is such a great deal. That's what people, you know, I, I follow a lot of people who have moved from San Francisco to Austin and they're like, this is amazing. You can get so much. And I'm like, this is terrible because you know I'm I'm I've lived in that area a long time ago. And I'm like, what? It's cost what to be in Austin? So that does not help anyone. So, you know, to our, um, we have several topics I wanted to cover today. One was mortgage rates. One is um, related to what we were just talking about, which is inventory. So, you know, we had we had housing starts come out this week. It wasn't terrible, but what was terrible was housing completions. And we mm. know there's a whole bunch of, you know, housing stock out there that's just sitting because they can't finish. They don't have the labor. They don't have the parts. And um, in the meantime, rates are going up. Things are shifting. Um, and, and it's, it's a volatile environment, but we know we can't look to the builders to fix this, the traditional builders. Yeah. It's not a builder problem. I mean, maybe, maybe a little bit,
1: uh, of it can be attributed to builders deciding to hold back some inventory because they have so much demand and and they they don't have a lot of stability in terms of workforce or or maybe the supply chain, you know, I mean, we we know that from the data, there's no trouble in, in getting houses started. Uh, There's a lot of trouble in finishing these homes and, um, you know they they how how else are they gonna make their money right like they, they, they gotta sell the homes and they have to be completed and um and so that that is a, a significant problem in a lot of areas and um and especially in the Sun Belt where where it's build 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 um but you can only build if you have a crew you can only build you know, if, if you're able to to get that garage door, you, you know, you can't get a, a you know a certificate of occupancy in some areas if you don't have uh, certain materials and certain um, you know boxes checked off, and that is not changing. That has not changed at all in a lot of areas, and um, and so inventory is going to remain the major problem. I, I think the headline, of course, is housing starts are. At, I think it was like the highest level in in at least a decade. I don't remember exactly what, but but it was a big number um, housing completions not a very big number. And, and proportionally, you know, I mean, compared to the amount of homes that are started with shovels in the ground, it's, it's paltry. It's, it's sad. Um, and so it doesn't matter how many home builders are out there, you know, right. again, it's a labor issue. It's, it's a supply chain issue.
0: So Matt Blake did a, a deep dive feature on, on something that, you know, people bring up a lot is like, well, what about the alternative, model of home building or either the process or the materials. And so he looked into 3D printed homes, which I think is super interesting. So tell us a little bit about that story.
1: Yeah. So this, this actually started because I I saw this really interesting documentary. uh, I want to say it was Apple TV. It was one of the, the many subscription services that I had that I almost never use. Um, So Netflix is also in that category, of course. Uh, But but the the show is was basically on all you know these very interesting architectural uh, movements that are that are happening now. a tree house in Bali and um, you know these very avant-garde structures. But the most interesting one to me was the final episode of this series, and it was about these 3D homes that have been built in Mexico from a company called Icon. and they're kind of like a quasi nonprofit. But not really a nonprofit. They partner uh, with other organizations, and and what they do is they, they use three D printers, very large three D printers. This is not something that you can uh, you can put to use in your bedroom, and uh, you know and, and build build a four four bedroom home. Um, but they have these massive printers, and they are essentially creating the walls for homes, and they can do it in, in basically a few days, and. If you know anything about building, you know even just that one step would take weeks or months and so the promise here with three d home construction is you are shaving material costs, you are shaving labor costs you are are shaving most importantly i mean the the big cost of course always is is time and and if you can get that down by a few months, you can build way more homes in theory, right and so. So there are a lot of companies that have started to enter this space and it's a really exciting one. And, and, you know, the whole promise is like in the future, neighborhoods and towns and eventually cities, they'll be built by robots and drones, and you won't have to worry about uh, some of these present day supply chain issues that are are so prevalent, that, that are so vexing, um, but I think the present is is um, <laughs> not as promising. You know, like th- these homes are just starting to get built, and a lot of the impediments to home building right now, uh, the big ones that the, the builders, these national home builders, the Lennars, the, the KB Homes of the world, will tell you exist, are how you deal with local zoning officials, um, dealing with building code issues, trade unions, the the cost of land is is more expensive than ever. Um, you know, these problems occur whether you're doing traditional, you know, uh, stick frame construction or whether you have, you know, some some weird ooze uh that is uh, kind of like a it's it's basically like a concrete, like a new form of concrete that is being used to build these walls. And so, you know, we have we have on the one hand this very promising technology that legitimately does result in cost savings. Um, you know, that's not really disputed, but there are a lot of limitations to what can be done there. So for example, um, there's a professor at the uh, the center for real estate theory and practice, and uh, he provided an example, an itemized form of costs to build a new home. And so in this example, in Arizona, a home that eventually sold for $875,000, the empty lot cost about $219,000 to acquire. And then you've got about $11,000 in financing costs. You've got a $49,000 cost for an open house and general expenses. And then you have $28,000 that goes toward the the real estate agents sales commission. So we're looking at about $307,000 in just administrative uh, or non-construction costs. The construction costs on this new build in Arizona themselves totaled about $481,000. And it spread out across, you know, a, a pretty wide variety of different materials. So 15% went to exterior finishes, 4% went to roofing, 4% went to plumbing, 4% to electrical, 4% to heating and ventilation and, you know, air conditioning, HVAC, all that, 4% to drywall, 2% to insulation, 3% to painting. And, and I think you get the picture. About 15% of the costs, so that's $72,000, went to the framing. And and this is the part that three uh, D printing companies right now are are able to address uh, using a three D printer. You could probably shave, you know, that fifteen percent down to about seven and a half percent. You know, and that is real money. That is absolutely real money. But is that enough to overcome some of the other costs that I you know described? You know, construction or even non construction. Uh, I would say not. You know, a 7.5% reduction in costs just isn't enough to spur, you know, um, use in, in scale. It, it just, it can't overcome, you know, zoning issues. It can't overcome, you know, other construction. You know, a 3D printer is not making sinks. It is not wiring electrical. It is not doing a lot of the stuff. Um, it's not laying floorboards, not doing, you know, a lot of work that that goes into building a new home these days. And so there are promising technologies it is a real cost savings, um, but at this point, it is it is definitely niche. It is um, not being done at scale anywhere. It is um, it, it reminds you a little bit more of like modular housing, yeah. which has caught on yeah. in, in some places, especially in Europe. You know, you go to Germany, and and a ton of the buildings in Germany were, were basically built in a factory in like Latvia or Poland, and then they they ship it in, and like you know, a bunch of dudes put it together, kind of like a like blocks you know, over the course of a few days. Um, We don't really do that here in America. It hasn't caught on. Um, It has to some degree in other areas, but it it just, it's not a game changer.
0: And it's one that is just mystifying to me. So um, from where I sit in my office at home, um, we built in a new area. Uh, We we moved into a new, uh, newly built home and across the street, they built all the homes. And so watching what that process looks like day by day over the months You're just like, there has got to be a more efficient way to do this. I mean, they're they're doing it all on site. And I I just go, it just boggles your mind because these are plans that the builders have for multiple houses. So it's not like these are custom homes that need to be done from the ground up, you know, on site. But I digress.
1: Yeah, it's kind of amazing that we don't just have these massive warehouses where... They can build, you know, a significant portion, at least of the framing, you know, or different right. pieces of it, um, you know, over the course of weeks instead of months on site, where you have to deal with elements, you have to deal with, um, you know, construction crews that are that are maybe um, not as committed to the job as you might like, um, you know, all kinds of other issues that that pop up, and, and there's always issues that come up in, in new construction. You know, there, there's never a completely seamless uh, experience, so. Um, it, it's interesting that that hasn't happened. I think a lot of it is due to, you know, in some areas, union workforces are, are still quite strong and and they're they're able to, um, you know, get, get their piece of the action. Um, and then of course, just kind of the boring answer, which is we have a huge amount of bureaucracy and it's so variable from town to town, even, you know, like they largely determine uh, building codes and how things are put together and inspections and you know, setbacks need to be you know X amount of feet and inches, and it's yeah. It's just, there are so many problems that are that are kind of you know built on top of one another that even if you solve one, you still have fifty others uh, to try to solve for. And I I don't know how you how you attack that.
0: I, I agree, and it's one of the uh, points that the story brings up. Um, you know, quoting Sam Qatar, the chief economist for Freddie Mac, who last year in 2021 identified five factors for the lack of home building high cost of construction materials, not enough construction labor, onerous land use regulations, zoning restrictions um, imposed by county and city governments, and not in my backyard. And, you know, as great as 3D, you know, printing would be, it only addresses one, maybe two of those, right? So so the construction... And not at scale. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he also pointed out that in 2020, we, Freddie Mac estimates that there were only 65,000 new entry-level homes completed in the entire year, over the whole, whole country. So, I mean, you can just see that this is—I mean, this is going to be a problem for years to come.
1: Sixty-five thousand homes is basically my neighborhood in Brooklyn.
0: Right. I mean,
1: we're talking the entire Sixty-five thousand I mean, is
0: just it's, crazy it's, for a whole year. Now, it was a pandemic year, things. but I, I don't think it was significantly for starter homes. Right. Um, I don't think or entry level homes, whatever you want to call them, and that's because again, as prices rise, as land cost rises, everything goes up. How are you going to build a starter home and make any money? How are, how is it even possible to do that at this point?
1: Yeah, I I mean, you, and not not that I'm hugely sympathetic to the home builders. They're having, you know, better financial years than ever and and in a lot of cases instead of addressing, you know, uh, or trying to address certain um endemic problems, they're they're uh, using their cash positions to uh to to benefit their shareholders and that's their decision. That's their choice. Uh, but but nevertheless, you know, it's it's one of those issues where there's no incentive for anyone independently to solve this problem and and the regulations and bureaucracies that are imposed uh from city to city town to town are are so massive for every portland for every you know minneapolis where there Defying uh traditional zoning, you know, and, and allowing people as of right to have you know, three-story buildings, you know, multifamily properties, ADUs, accessory swelling units in certain areas, you know, there, there's a town or a county or whomever who, who decides to prevent uh you know the construction of, of housing. And um, there's basically no federal um you know emphasis on, on preventing that. And the Biden administration has talked about. Uh, trying to uh, loosen zoning and, and especially remove restrictive zoning, but I don't know of a mechanism with which they could do it unless they had some sort of a blanket rule that said, you know, as of right, every R1 is now suddenly an R3, you know, and, and if if they did that, I mean, the backlash would be immense. It would be, you'd never know so many people who suddenly care about zoning uh, if you were to make that kind of move. And so, you know, it becomes a local issue and local issues often don't get solved because the the stakeholders are already entrenched and they're the voters and, and they're the loud sometimes minority, sometimes majority.
0: You know, something that Matt brings up in that article that I didn't I hadn't even thought about because I'm you know I'm familiar with Icon homes and the and the little community they're building there and the one in Mexico is how do you appraise it? So we're in the midst of this huge conversation about appraisal on a lot of levels on how much, you know, sales comps should be relied on. Um, if that, you know, just perpetuates systemic racism from different neighborhoods being in in the past, you know, definitely discounted by by appraisers, or even today. Well, then you throw in a whole new kind of um building material or at least the way that something's constructed how are they going to do that um what does that look like what does the bank think about you know uh, cement walls what are all those you know and lots of places have uh cement walls i mean you think about florida i think about yeah, most of europe is built in cement yeah. you
1: know uh, i mean we know how the material works it's, it's not that it's it, I, I think the problem is is when you introduce something very new into the real estate exactly. world um they're slow to adjust, you know, these are like very big, um, slow moving, um, entities and, and they, they just, they don't have a lot of incentive to change unless they see a huge cost savings or a huge first mover advantage maybe. And then, you know, because it's an ecosystem, you can't do anything in a vacuum. Like let's say 3d printing does catch on, but appraisers, you know, don't buy in and they appraise everything low. Um, then you're basically building people who can account for a gap in appraisal if they'll even appraise it, right? Like uh, it's it, it then becomes a tool for the wealthy, you know. And and although a lot of the promise of 3D home building is is affordable housing, is is being able to construct you know relative minimalist structures quickly, cheaply, and for the masses. The reality is if you don't have a full buy-in from the other stakeholders in the housing ecosystem it becomes something that's only attainable for those who have money who have resources who can overcome say you know an appraisal coming in 40,000 lower because they they can cover that gap so yeah these are intractable problems and and that, you know that's that's what we're we're here to report on is is uh, you know issues like this because they are complicated they're complex and and no one has an answer sadly
0: i agree and you know uh we did see some of the uh, news around, you know, what what could happen here is the fact that uh, a company called Mighty Buildings said that um, they were going to have um, they they just hired a new chief operating officer, Russ Atassi, who is arriving following stints at Airbnb and Facebook. So I do think you get some Silicon Valley money in there, you get some Silicon Valley know how in there, and, and it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um it looks like they're they're looking at a whole new community of sort of mixed use so so homes and then also ADUs in the same community. Um so it's great to see people jumping in and trying I, I mean we can only try right? It's great to see people at least trying.
1: Yeah, it, it does raise questions about what what is the future of this nascent industry look like? You know, is it is it essentially a Silicon Valley type of of business and you know the, the I guess the criticism would be Silicon Valley is generally not interested in, um, you know, doing things for the masses that that are affordable. That's never quite been the mission. Um, big change can occur. I don't know if, you know, is, is this a for-profit venture? You know, do you need hundreds of millions, billions of dollars in, in venture capital money? Well, let's say that does occur. You don't think those VCs want their money back in a few years? You know, I, I don't know if you can do this sort of program with nonprofits, but whatever the model looks like, there are going to be drawbacks because there's a drawback to every model. You're not seeing a lot of workforce housing being developed, right? You're not seeing a lot of, right. uh, a lot of, um, you know, public uh, housing that's being developed either. You know, you'll, you'll see public subsidized. Um, but if, if anyone listening has ever tried to Build an affordable housing project from the ground up. They'll tell you it is it is one of the most nightmarish, you know, Kafka-esque um, experiences of one's <laughs> life. I mean the, the amount of of bureaucratic nonsense that you have to to go through just to get a fifteen unit, you know, multifamily project off the ground is is just there's almost nothing like it.
0: So we have a long way to go. Well, James, I am so excited. What are some of the um, stories that people are working on, your reporters are working on that we can look forward to next week?
1: Yeah, we've got a lot of big stories that we'll be dropping next week. Uh, We have one from uh, Bill Conroy, and he is taking a very thorough look at how the non-QM lenders are are dealing with all the volatility out there. And um, we've seen layoffs, we've seen uh, changes in in rate lock policies from for a lot of them, um, and and it's not really a it's not a credit issue. It's it's really an issue of just rate movement. Um, you know, rates haven't moved like this in forty years, and so you have all these portfolios out there um, that that they can't really sell, or, or if they do, maybe they'll get par, maybe they won't. And um, you know, the, the bottom really dropped for a lot of non-QM lenders. And so, you know, I think long-term, there's there's certainly a feeling that this is, um, you know, a corner of mortgage that is not even close to reaching its full potential or, or you know, back to the glory days, you know, non-QM used to be a, a much bigger piece of the pie. And, and I think, you know, the people that we've spoken to I believe that it, it will still absolutely get there. But right now, it's a really difficult time and it, it depends if you hedged. It depends, uh, you know, if if you have the ability to keep loans on your on your uh, on your books for a little while, you know it's not typically uh, the way they like to do it. They they try to get them off as quickly as possible. That's that's just how the game is played. So we'll be checking in on that, and uh, we got a bunch of other really really good stories uh, to come over the next week. So so please check in and check often.
0: We will definitely be checking back on those. Great job by your reporters and by you, and thanks for being on. Thanks, Sarah. the Housing Wire magazine, member-exclusive rates to in-person events like Housing Wire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.